welcome back to the Replatform podcast. It's myself, James, and I'm joined by Paul, my co-host, as always. Uh, good morning, Paul. What's up? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm good. Thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I was in, uh, enjoying your story about how you've had to do loads of like balancing of multiple meetings to make them work in, in cab journeys and stuff. Uh, it's been yeah. a fun start to the day for you. But it's worked out perfectly, hopefully. Anyway, yeah, you've just taken after this. <laughs> yeah, you just you just you just tempted and mocked the gods, mate. Um, cool. So we're on to another fun episode today. We're delving into the world of web analytics and analytics implementations, linked into our overall theme of like speed, performance, and optimization. And the reason for this, the topic today is getting analytics integrations right for for new site launches. And the reason for this is that I've worked on so many projects where poor data is undermining e-commerce decision making. So in two ways, it's undermining the business uh, on its existing platform because they don't have uh, enough uh, you know, um, belief and trust in the data or they don't have the right data to enable them to make decisions about how to improve the site. But also if the time and effort isn't put into getting the analytics implementation right, and that means not just getting something like a Google Analytics set up and tracking, but how it's implemented through potentially a tag manager, having the right data layer to make sure all the correct data can be passed from the front end to the back end, that you end up getting down the line and not being able to, to analyze the site how you want to and be able to do, do all the improvements or inform um, ongoing optimization programs effectively. And data blindness leads to a lot of inefficiency. I've seen this time and time again where, where people don't spend the time and effort up front and then have to retrospectively fix it later, which takes a lot of additional cost. So based on that, we've uh, we decided to invite Al Whiteman from So What Analytics, who's a, a web analytics data specialist, to come onto the podcast and give us uh, some real good insider info and detail around how to get implementations right and some of the kind of gotchas to watch out for. So welcome, Al. How are you, sir? Yeah, very good. Morning, gentlemen. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Uh, love, lovely to get you on, mate. You know, having worked with you personally on quite a few projects and seen firsthand how you're able to steer clients away from from data errors and implementation errors, I think it's going to be a really interesting podcast. So I appreciate you taking the time to join us. Not at all, not at all. Steer is a very good word, I think. So uh, that will come up a lot, I think, uh, during the day. Hey, so we... I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep a steer swear jar and see how many uh, we get to by the end. Yeah. Um, before we start asking you uh, loads of uh, questions, um, could you give everyone who's listening, so, um, you know, some of our listeners I know will know you or may have even worked with you and had that joy <laughs> in their life. But for those who don't, uh, who are, haven't worked with you or don't know much about analytics, uh, can you give an intro, who you are, what you do and, and you know, what, what so what analytics focuses on? Yeah, yeah. Um, my name's Al Whiteman. Um, I'm what you would call a digital analyst, have been for the last nine, ten years. Before that, I was working in digital since uh, the mid-90s. Um, so what analytics specializes purely, as the name suggests, in analytics, helping clients set up uh, mainly GA and GTM setups, uh, making sure the data they're trying to capture is captured correctly, and then helping them analyzing it and turning it into turning data into useful information and insights so they can then make useful business decisions. I think that's a nice way of framing it. They turn it into useful data, isn't it? Because you can capture any amount of data, but not all data is useful to every business. Correct. And yeah. the implementation is critical. And interestingly, you specialise in the Google stack. You, know, you said predominantly GA, GTM. You also do a lot of work with data studio and data presentation. So why yeah. that focus? 
That's a good question. Well, when I started, um, I was trying to cover all bases. So at the time of like the early uh, 2010, 2011, uh, GA was in competition, still is with Omniture, which is now Adobe, and Web Trends and a few others. Uh, and trying to cover all those bases is just not uh, sound, both from a mental point of view, but also from a commercial point of view. Uh, trying to sell yourself in as a consultant to know all of those is just not at all possible. So early in my career, I decided um, to focus on one, and I chose Google. Uh, in particular, it was driven by when they launched Google Tag Manager in 2012, and I started to specialize in that very quickly. And I realized that if, if you're good at Google Tag Manager, you, you will never be out of work because it's, it's a very good skill to have. And then over time, uh, Google Cloud Platform has just uh, kind of mushroomed with huge amounts of uh, features, in particular, one that I use pretty much every day is BigQuery, which is their kind of cloud database, cloud data warehouse. Uh, and I find that uh, that gives me the ability to offer analytics setup to data uh, kind of capture to data warehouse to business insight uh, in one person. So that, that's why I chose that, that route. Great. And um, I'll, I'll ask the kind of first uh, question. So when you're doing these analytics implementations in the context of a replatforming project or a new build, maybe, um, what are some of the biggest issues you see? And what are the knock-on effects for the client? Yes. Yeah, I'm going to sound negative now, but I'm going to not try to too much. Um, the first one um, is personnel reasons. Okay, so many businesses are just not geared up with the right people uh, internally. Uh, and that starts from the board downwards. So very few boards, even it kind of multinational big boards, very few of them have skilled data people who, who talk at a board level. Um, one of the big roles that people talk about at that, at that, that level is chief digital officer or chief data officer. There are many organizations that do have those in, you know, in the FTSE 100, et cetera, but many organizations outside that don't have that person. And so there's a misunderstanding of what data is, how you implement analytics, what analytics actually is and what it isn't. Um, and that, that requires a lot of work. Second aspect, um, it, and you'll appreciate this, uh, working in, uh, kind of migration and, and replatforming is process. Um, people don't understand the process uh, required to Im implement analytics. Ultimately, analytics is just one element of the project and it, and it should be treated just like any other technical aspect. So it requires project management, it requires regular review, it requires input from various stakeholders. So there's a lot of work involved. It's not just Here's the analyst, they set it up, and then you meet them three months later when you launch the site. It requires a much more uh, interaction between lots of people. And it's not a IT job, it's not a marketing job, it's an analytics job. Okay? And that requires then someone in the business who understands analytics or you going uh, and getting someone to, externally to help you do that role. Uh, IT people don't like doing analytic setups, and that's not a criticism. They're just not interested in that in that subject. And equally, marketing people rarely have the skills 
or the technical chops to actually go and implement uh, a, a proper analytic setup. Yeah, I agree. Um, and following on from that, so in terms of preparing um, for analytics, and I guess like we use the term analytics, but it's probably a bit broader as well. And I think these days, you know, there's so much um, importance in things like getting the right information into the data layer and stuff like that. And, you know, yeah. man and, you know, everyone's using GTM or the equivalent. Um, like preparing for a build and all kind of I guess how do teams prepare? Like, what what should they be thinking about early on? Who should be involved? You know, should this be a part of the kind of discovery? Um, and what kind of things do they need to think about? Yeah, this is probably the, the fundamental question to getting a setup right. Um, just returning to personnel, it's, it's getting the right people on board in the first place. Whether that's internally, you have you recruit a head of analytics or senior analyst, or you recruit uh, or uh, procure a good external consultant or agency that for me is the the fundamental you, you need to have someone you can trust who can who is an expert on the subject who can guide you through the whole process secondly and this is what i would encourage any business to do whether it's large or small is is not to think about the technology such so don't think about should it be ga should it be some other analytics platform ultimately they all do about 80 percent of the same thing they all measure certain things in the same way. The key thing is to think more about what do you want to measure in business and customer behavior terms that you want to measure and understand. And that drives everything. So don't try and think about how are we going to implement it. It's you just want to understand how many people add to car or how many people look at a certain product or how many people play a video on a site. Whatever the interaction that you want to understand, think about it in those commercial and business terms rather than the technical terms. Leave that technical aspect of that to um, the analyst and the implementer. You would never say to an IT guy, you'd start talking about uh, kind of Java code or stuff like that. They would just want to laugh in your face. But to you wouldn't do that from a business point of view. You would, you would talk on a, on a much more business level. You'd say, we want the add to cart to work in this way, or we'd want the checkout process to work in this way. You wouldn't talk about it from a technical point of view. You've got, you, you should always think of it about it from a customer behavior term first of all and then everything else drives that um the the other thing that i i always ask and rarely get a good answer back from is do you have any documentation from the previous site that you're currently running uh, even if it's simple things like how was the analytics set up currently set up why was it set up in, the, in that way what drove those thoughts initially they can be really useful background documents for analysts when they when new analysts come on board to set up the new platform uh for the new site god yeah and and how how many of the projects that we've worked on together have any documentation at all? <laughs> no, none whatsoever <laughs> um it's um, amazing isn't it how there isn't because you think about the amount of documentation that developers uh general or good developers do in terms of like um you know code history and stuff and yet Analytics, which has a really uh, important code and development uh, impact, rarely gets the same love. Yeah, I think I think there's a couple of reasons for that, James, uh, and it and, and it's a, a real bugbear of mine, which is that businesses, well, a lot of businesses, not all, a lot of businesses see analytics setup as a project, as a A to B process that finishes at B, and that's it, you're done. Yeah. 
And that's just not the case. It's not your your website never finishes. Your, your business never never finishes. It's ongoing. It's continually developing and re yeah. reinventing itself. That's the same with analytics. And that's where the mistake happens. It gets set up, and people think, "Tick, it's done." Um, and and it requires that change in mindset to say, "No, we need to continually look after it." And, and, and that's where documentation comes in. Uh, and, and that requires a level of funding that a lot of businesses didn't realise they needed to introduce to, to maintain uh, such a setup. De definitely. And, and even the process, the ongoing process of making sure the people who, who are responsible for the, the data and measurement side of the business, whether that's a analytics lead or, or somebody in an agency, that they're un they are aware of the release programme so that they can validate, for example, in UAT, any new changes to the site and whether they impact existing tacking because that that so often doesn't happen and then new deployment goes live great feature breaks measurement so great feature can't be analyzed exactly that and this is where the, the process comes involved you know it's, it's a running joke but it's true is that analysts are the last people to find out about changes so yeah. I, I will often say to client oh i've noticed a new checkout process or i've noticed you've got a new site search and and they go oh yeah we forgot to tell you that i mean that's yeah, screwed yeah. their analytics for the next month or so. Well, not screwed it, but it's, it's certainly amended their numbers. Uh, and one of the key roles that an analyst, from a soft skill point of view, is the ability to engage with the e-commerce team or the IT team, whoever's managing that site, to build up a really good rapport so they get involved in that process. And ultimately, a lot of analysts don't have those soft skills because it requires ability to communicate on a, a warmth and sometimes and sometimes a harsh terms sometimes to say come on guys let tell me about this stuff because it's important for the business um and and a lot of analysts and i, I include myself in this because I, I count myself as a geek don't always have those skills to do that yes yeah true and i kind of linked into this point about you know, lack of documentation and, uh, and staying on top of, of things what, what common Google Analytics configuration errors do you see and how can they be fixed? Because often configuration errors screw up the tracking as well. Yes. You can group them probably into, I'd say, two or three main areas. So ultimately, with an analytics setup, you want to understand where do people come from? So you want to attribute marketing channels to visits and sales. Uh, so then you want to be able to measure the behavior on the site itself or the app uh, itself uh, and that includes basic things like page views events um sites search things like that and then thirdly you want to measure those core goals on your site so whether that's a transaction or whether that's someone completing a form applying for something whatever the end goal of the site is those are the three core areas we, you want to measure so if you think about getting people attributing marketing channels one of the most common ones and we see this all the time james on, on a number of clients we've worked with is utm parameters not being set up correctly um so people have either not included all the ones that are required so sometimes i need one which doesn't then pass the information correctly to ga or they use uppercase sometimes when it should be lowercase um, and sometimes just putting the wrong words um, so you are attributing, for example, paid social to organic social, or you're uh, allocating a certain channel to a completely different channel. And that's 
it, it's so annoying for a, a marketing team. Uh, so that requires a person to own the UTM parameter list. And that's usually in a spreadsheet or a tool that manages all of those. Uh, because if you let everyone just kind of set up their own, then it, it becomes mayhem. It, it really does become um, difficult to maintain quality of that. And then some really standard stuff on behavior is things like duplicate tags on sites. So you might have Google Tag Manager on there that's firing one tag, but you then might have inline version of a GA code on the page as well. So you're getting uh, two page views firing for every page that's being viewed. Uh, and then the client will phone me up and say, why have I got no bounce rate? And you, you, you can explain to them very quickly. I suppose that from a, obviously most of you people listening here will be involved in e-commerce related sites. And one of the biggest areas that I'm constantly having to fix or set up is enhanced e-commerce tagging. Uh, and it's not the easiest thing to do, but it's not, the, it, it's not rocket science. And the first thing I would say, if you've got an e-commerce website, is to make sure that you are capturing your transaction data correctly. So capturing transaction ID, capturing the revenue correctly, uh, capturing all the product information that you want to capture, product revenue, tax, shipping, all of that information. Get that working and, and audit it uh, as closely as possible against your financial reporting systems. Uh, once you've done that, you can then focus on other in enhanced e-commerce tagging like product detail views, add to carts, checkout, things like that. Great. Um, another one to add to that UTM uh, piece is people going rogue and tracking uh, or trying to track like, on-site journeys via oh, uh, UTM oh, parameters. I always well, see that. that. Yeah, it's it's one of the biggest nightmares because that, yeah. for those who don't know, over that just overwrites your original channel. Um, and, and that happens a lot. Yeah. That reminds me, uh, Paul, I suppose, and you will know this more than me, that uh, single-page applications are becoming more and more popular as a means to deliver an e-commerce website. For analytics, that creates its own unique problems that yeah. are easily got round, but they, they are a, diff, a different way of setting up the tagging compared to you, just a, what you would call a standard uh, page reloading every page type site. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so my next question, um, so I guess you've mentioned custom dimensions and events briefly, and I yes. think um, this is usually, they represent a really good opportunity to do really cool stuff. I really like, um, I, I think I've mentioned a few times on the podcast, I always try and track uh, out of stock views, which I think is a really valuable. Yeah, fantastic. Um, yeah, really valuable to customers or really valuable to retailers. Um, what are some of the like cool things or effective things you've done with custom dimensions and events in the past? Yes, I, I suppose it brings up a general point about GA and any other tool. Um, when you just put the standard code on the site, it's just 5% of what the tool can do. Customization is, is the key keyword for any analytics setup. And that goes back to the original point about thinking about what business and customer behavior, things you want to measure and, and track. So from a custom dimension point of view, um, you've got to think about it in relation to your specific business. So from an e-commerce point of view, uh, if you are, for example, running a fashion site, you will want to capture data about your products that are relevant to your 
fa fashion sector, things like product size, uh, product material, product color, patterns, uh, you name it, uh, a product attribute that fits your business um, is you will want to capture that. Uh, so if you're a music, uh, if you sell music, you might want to capture music genre, um, music format. Uh, a, a really good example I've, I've done in the past is for a number of estate agents. So but there's no concept in GA of house viewings or um, people um, booking to, to go to, a, uh, to physically go and visit a, a, a house or flat. Um, you, you don't want to just talk about it in sales terms because that's what e-commerce, that's what GA is set up mainly for, but you can customize it into the language and terms that mean something to your business. Uh, and it's the same with metrics. So, for example, I, I'm working on a, a site at the moment where um, they have add to cart on various different page types across the site. So they have it on the product detail page. They also have it on product list pages, on search results pages, and they have it on add to wish list pages. And you can set up custom metrics to say, how many times was it added to cart from this type of page, that type of page? And that just gives a much more granular and greater understanding to the client of what customers are doing on their site. So that's the benefit of events and custom dimensions. So your imagination is your limit on, on what you can do with them. Great. Yeah, some really good use cases there. And I think um, this question uh, might be related, but um, what do you see as, and I've just kind of added this in as a bit of a rogue one, um, yeah. what do you think are um, the most underutilized features of GA for e-commerce businesses? Good question. Um, well, one of my pet ones, which I really like, which very few people do, is content grouping. Um, so if, if, if you've ever had the pleasure of going into uh, site content reports on GA and it lists all the pages that have been viewed at least once in the time period you're analysing, you can sometimes have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of pages. Okay. And uh, I will challenge anyone to generate some insight out of that without having to put in a considerable amount of work, which invariably involves uh, exporting it out of GA, putting it into Excel, then doing some fancy things to group that content into meaningful groups, which then you can generate some insight from. So content grouping can be set up in GA itself or through Google Tag Manager. And all it does is, is group your pages into whatever grouping system you want to use. You can have up to five different grouping mechanisms. So you, I typically have one which is page type. And then I will have top level sections, second level sections, third level sections. And that immediately, and I call it, I often call it, we'll call it the CEO report. If, if the CEO says, well, where do people congregate on my site? What do they do on my site? You can just show them that report because it, it no longer is hundreds of thousands of pages, potentially. It's usually 10, 20 um, groupings of where people are, uh, yeah, are, are doing stuff on your site. Uh, and that, that immediately gets you thinking about what what your customers are thinking about and doing. 
Yeah, I think that's a good one. Definitely something that I very rarely use. Um, next question, another rogue one that I've just added in. Um, so what's your view, and a bit, it's a bit topical at the moment, um, what's your view on server-side GTM implementations? And generally with server-side implementations of both GTM and GA, is this something that people should be moving to? Like, What's your view on this? Yeah, that's a good question, Paul. Uh, I, I've not done one yet. I've, I've read the documentation. Um, it, it's something that I think is inevitable that you will have to do. Um, and there's one main, well, there's a, a, a few reasons for it. Um, the way uh, the browser companies are working, uh, in particular, I'm going to mention one which is uh, a fruit, um, <laughs> which uh, has adopted what I would call a very customer privacy focus, and I, and I agree with a lot of it, but one of the uh, negative impacts has been, it has had a detrimental impact on analytics setups. When in fact, the, the main aim of what Apple was trying to do was uh, stop a lot of the kind of bad practices of third, third party tags, you know, remarketing tags, things like that. Um, they've introduced a number of uh, elements into their browser that stops those <coughs> those cookies and, and that uh, those kind of remarketing tools working, uh, all under under umbrella of ITP, um, and they've gone through a number of iterations of that, uh, and that's caused thing. That, and a byproduct of that is that like cookie windows for GA have suddenly gone from two years down to seven days, and in some circumstances, one day. Um, now, I agree with a lot of those, but from a um, trying to track um, return customers or trying to understand customers who return, say, once a year, so say you run an insurance site, it's unlikely your customers are going to come back more than once or twice a year. Um, so to understand that they're coming back, and if they don't log in all the time, um, you're reliant on cookies. Now, some people might say, that's great. We don't care. It's better that privacy happens. But I think it's, there's got to be a balance there, I, and I would say that as an analyst. Uh, Server-side um, tagging with GTM, which looks a very good um, proposal from Google, uh, will enable you to set your own cookie. I understand that may change in time um, when... Uh, when it comes about, when it becomes more mainstream. Uh, by, by, by being able to set your own cookie, that you should be able to go back to a longer period uh, of an, a window to analyze your campaigns. Um, so that's one of the core benefits. But also from an a, a, um, impact on the site, you know, when you run GTM on your site, if you have hundreds of tags, which some of my clients do, that can have a slight impact on speed. Uh, and with server-side tagging, effectively what you're doing is capturing the custom behavior once and then dealing with all of the tags in the background away from the client browser so it doesn't affect speed. That's it. That's what should happen in principle. And I think that will probably be the, the, the huge big benefit for customers and for clients running who want to have sites that run really quickly. Ah, yeah, interesting. Um, just going back to, to GTM 
whether a server or non-server side. What, what's your, if a client says to you, why do we need to implement a, a tag management system? Why can't we just put our, the, the standard like, GA tracking code on web pages? What are the benefits of using GTM properly? Yeah, um, I, I wouldn't work on a project if they didn't use GTM, to be honest. I would tell them that at that point. Um, and, and the reason why I would say that is that you are uh, heading for a world of absolute pain by adding code uh, in line. That would be the last resort. I would encourage your clients to do that. And the reason that is, and it's once again, a bit of a running joke in the early analytics world is that you would write a very detailed spec, give it to a, the, the IT guy who's going to implement it on, on the site. You wouldn't hit, it would be deprioritized, take three months. And then uh, when they did do it, it would be wrong. And you'd have to go through that cycle again. Uh, it, it, it sounds a bit of a joke, but it actually happened a lot of the times uh, for numerous analysts, for, for, for me and for other analysts. With GTM, once the GTM code is put on there, and hopefully there is a good data layer on the site as well, you, you are less reliant, and I would like to stress less reliant, on uh, IT guys. So you can break, so from a benefit point of view, you can break out the development cycle. So if you are beholden to a, a development cycle that implements new things every two weeks, three weeks, and you had to do that with code, you would have to wait for them to put that live. So say you were running a campaign, a social campaign, it was only going to run a few days, you might not fit into that cycle and you wouldn't be able to track that campaign. Um, but the very fact that with Google Tag Manager, you can break out of that and you can put tags live, inject tags into your site, uh, whenever you like, you are fleet of foot, you can do it, in five minutes, and then you can remove them in five minutes. Um, so for me, it's speed uh, and not being reliant on I IT people. But then secondly, um, you can also customize your tags way more and, and track way more things much more quickly through GTM than through standard tracking code. Yeah, and I think the control piece is the really important bit that, that if you need to move quickly, not being dependent on development cycle, where it's very easy to deprioritize something which doesn't feel like it's directly contributing to revenue versus adding a new feature or improving a product page, for example. So yeah, I think that's, that's smart wise. Um, but linked to that, as with anything that can <laughs> break good, it can also do great harm. Um, not looked after. So from the projects you've worked on, what are the risks with the tag management solution? You know, obviously we're focused on GTM today, but it could be any any tag management. Yeah, no, completely. They're, they're all what, the same. What can go wrong, uh, um, and how do you avoid it? So, what is good governance to avoid those pitfalls? Yeah. Okay. So, let's understand what a tag management tool is in the first place. Um, and if you were to use a technical term it would probably frighten an IT director quite a lot. And the ultimate tag management system is, is a JavaScript injector. So it allows uh, used, you to use a web tool to inject JavaScript into your site. So if you take that principle to its degree, you can put any JavaScript into your site. Okay, So that JavaScript could break your checkout process, it could deface your homepage. It could uh, cause pages not to load properly, all kinds of things. And I'm talking about um, kind of quite niche cases here, but I've seen all of those. 
So you, you can have malicious people in your company who've left, who still have access to GTM, uh, who could quite easily put something on your site. That's a rare case, but it can happen. Um, more likely is that you are giving publish rights uh, in your tag management tool to people who should not have them. Okay, so you should really hone down who has responsibility for publishing in 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 your business, or whether that's internally or externally. Um, and you should then have a process that's agreed by marketing, by IT, and by the analytics teams to say how do we approve a set of tags and how do we get them live. Um, and at the same time, you don't want that to be too too um, difficult to get through. You don't want it to be a difficult process. It should be a relatively simple one. And that's where the trust comes in for your consultant or head of analytics within your business who, who would manage that process. Um, so talking from risks, James, I've had a client who's, who thought they were innocently putting a Google Ads tag on their site. They did it through a custom HTML tag rather than using the template. And they literally stopped their site working. So they could not take any transactions. Their, their credit card payment system stopped working. Um, and that literally, I was in a meeting for three hours. And when I came out, I must have had 20 calls on my phone to say, can you remove this tag? Because they didn't know how to do it. So that's the dangers of it. Great. I think um, I over the years, I've definitely been a bit of a culprit um, for breaking things via GTM, but usually more tracking related. Um, but yeah, yeah I definitely. If, if this is like a confession session. I too. I know. Have <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, I once did this now. On that area. Um, I, I, I've done it myself. I've, I've, take, I've stopped a site working. In, I've stopped a site, site search working because I, I put a very innocent tag live and it was a template tag as well. And it, and it just um, immediately, um, the client phoned me up, said they'd had 10 people phone up, said the site search had stopped working. So it, it can, it happens all the time. I think, um, uh, I think it's a bit of a risky one because like GTM seems so straightforward and like the fundamentals are so straightforward, but then as soon as you start doing anything more advanced, there's so much more risk to it. And that's like a few years ago, right? Yeah. I, definitely broken various things um as yeah. a result of that what, what i would say is that i'm not i don't want to be a kind of um promoter for google even though i do use google tools um i would say that they test to death google tag manager and th there may be some uh, things within the, uh, the actual tool itself that sometimes aren't tested as well as possible but the the actual tagging element of google tag manager is very reliable and you have to do kind of weird most of the time you have to do kind of your own custom type tagging to cause major issues to happen yeah 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 um so the next question so um i do quite a lot of uh work on like i guess the ga and gtm uh parts of replatforming projects but i'm definitely not an expert um and one of the things that is obviously important pre go live is testing implementations yes and um and i would usually and this is more of a, it's kind of a question as well for me but i would usually uh kind of create like a test view um and try and test the implementation and do uh, kind of test orders and everything else in isolation just because it makes things easier whereas yeah. i know a lot of people would do it in a production environment and um and just kind of split out the 
test transactions and test data. Um, what's best practice here? And in general, like, you know, how should you validate um, a GA slash GTM implementation um, pre-go-live? Yes. Uh, I'm a believer that analytics is like any other technical part of uh, a replatforming process. So it requires a, a, a proper testing process and i totally agree with you paul that i i would create a i create a number of test properties uh, so i would have a test property for the test environment i would potentially have uh one for uat and then i would also have one which is called debug mode which is when i'm testing on the live site that data gets put into that debug mode the uh, ga property um and then in GTM, you can quite easily set up rules to say, if you're on this site, fire the tags here. If you're on this debug mode on the live site, send it to here. So your live GA account is should be only getting real customers going to it. So that for, for me, splitting up that data is important in itself. But then it allows you to isolate your testing. So when you're testing every uh, page tag, event tag, e-commerce tagging and any other customization uh, of tagging uh, you can easily identify it in that test uh, or debug mode property and uh, it's not kind of surrounded by hundreds or hundreds of thousands of other data you can actually see what you you have done and check that the data has been captured correctly i would also be encouraging that if if you are fortunate enough to have a qa team as part of your business or part of the the project team, get them to check that testing as well, just from a kind of a non-technical point of view, but they're just literally testing it and you give them a testing document to say, go from, through the site, do these events, do these um, processes, and then I will check to see if the data has come through properly. And it's just useful to get that second, third perspective on that tagging. And then once you're happy with it, you can sign that that off to go live. But one thing that very few organizations do is retest all of uh, their test scripts on the live site once it's gone live and regularly testing those scripts once, twice a month, uh, or depending on the size of the site, maybe once a quarter to check that your tagging is still in place. Because invariably, as your site changes, some of the tagging won't work as time goes on. The... Um the new uh, GA4s come, oh, I say coming out, it sounds like it's a release of like a computer game. Um, <laughs> but it's, 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 it's available, but uh, my understanding is not available to everyone yet. Could you talk people through, uh, also for my benefit as well, because I, I just don't know enough about it yet. How does it work? Like, do, does, Google, does Google automatically update people onto the GA4 or do e-commerce teams need to do something to move over? There's a, there's a bit of migration. It's not as complicated um, as it sounds, as, as previous kind of GI migrations have worked, because this is the, the fourth iteration of, of GA if you're looking at it from a coding point of view. Um, I suppose where GA4 comes from, the, the original idea is that we, we're now in a world of websites and uh, applications. Okay. And GA and Google had offered in the past. Uh, ways of uh, tracking web data and app data and pulling it into uh, various properties and views. 
what GA4 does is allow you to have different data streams, that's the term that they use, data streams coming into one property, whether it's from a website or uh, an iOS app or a Google app, um, Android app, sorry, and that all that data sits in one property view. Okay. <clears throat> and that's hugely beneficial because you, you're seeing your uh, business from one perspective rather than having to go into different pots to see your app data and your web data. Um, the code, is, in my understanding, yeah, if you think about GA itself, uh, it was a, a company called Urchin that Google bought in 2005. And my understanding is that quite a lot of the code uh, even in universal analytics, which is GA3 effectively, is still kind of beholden to the purchase from 2005. Um, and uh, I'm sure people might correct me on this, but I think GA4 is, is kind of a complete rewrite and it's supposed to fit and work for um, the 21st century. Um, the other aspect, um, uh, for me, this is the, the killer thing. I, from a feature point of view, I don't think it... It does that much differently, other than what I've just said, than the universal analytics. Other than that, it thinks about the the model of data in a slightly different way. So it doesn't think about it in pages and events. Everything is, is an event in GA4. But I think if you were to sell it to any anyone, as the the key benefit is, it now offers a free connection to BigQuery, so you can get your data out in raw hit data into BigQuery for free. So that was one of the big features of, uh, of GA360 uh, is that you got a connection to export all of your data out uh, in hit, hit raw data into BigQuery. It's now going to be a free uh, feature of GA4. So Google GA360, so pay them for the premium version of Google Analytics or yes. the um, When do you think that is needed like is there is there a point beyond kind of um, from my perspective i guess sampling is is probably the obvious one that maybe leads a lot of people to um upgrade but when yeah. are there any other kind of you know uh points where you think people need to upgrade yeah i think one of the big big ones is is to think about ga as two different things so ga collects data and then ga presents data okay uh if you're running a large uh, business, invariably you will want to merge your GA data with operation data, financial data, uh, other marketing platform data. Uh, once again, it, any data that you like, but you can join with your GA data. Invariably, you can't do that in GA and you want to hold that in a database, data warehouse, whatever you want to call it, that allows you to easily join that data together at a hit raw level data. For me, that's one of the biggest sellings of big selling points of 360 um, is ability to get your data out in raw format and then manipulate it in a data warehouse. Uh, the, the sampling one is a massive issue. At some points, uh, it's going to become annoying when your sampling rate is at 8% and you're trying to look at certain data and you just can't trust it at that point. Yeah, and I think that's a common common uh, thing that people struggle with. And also, for people to even understand that, you know, if you work in the analytics world, then sampling is something that, that, that you understand in detail. But if you're new to it and you're a client looking at data who's not been involved in GA for years, you can miss that and think that the data is reliable when it might not be. 
Correct. And it, it, it's, it's ultimately, it is an, an analyst's problem in a way, because most people who look at GA are looking at the standard reports and they aren't sampled. Standard reports, in very, most of the time, I'll cover that point, um, are, are not sampled. It's when you start adding second dimensions or you create custom reports yeah. um, that you get sampling. And, that, and that's where you get the interesting data. And that's where the analyst is normally uh, looking at it. Um, so once again, they would be going, oh, I'd really love this data to be outside of GA. Yeah. Um, equally, the, um, GA's reporting interface is not that good. And, they, and Google would uh, admit that. Um, and there are much better ways of reporting it. And dare, dare I say it, Excel can sometimes be the best way of presenting that information compared to some some reporting tools within GA itself. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I think data visualization is an is a whole new topic which we could spend an entire episode on as well about tools, techniques, you know, what data you can show in there and why. So, yeah, definitely. Um that's been really interesting. We've covered all the key questions we wanted to ask you. Paul, was there anything else that you wanted to ask Al? No, I think that's really good. Yeah, really good session. I like um, how granular we went at points. Really good, really interesting insights. Yeah, hopefully everyone stayed awake. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I am prone to putting people to sleep as analysts <laughs> uh, are prone to be. Yeah. No, not at all. It's, it's always a pleasure and interesting to talk to you. But Al, I believe you're about to embark on a, a completely different path for work. Uh, uh, would you care to share with our audience? I found it quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I've worked in digital for nearly 25, it will be 24 years this January. Um, and I've fortunately been able to decide to do something completely different away from digital uh, and, and I'm going to become a music producer. Um of uh, a particularly music producer of electronic music and kind of soundscape type music. Um, and that's what I'm going to follow for hopefully the rest of my life, which uh, I'm very excited about. Yeah, amazing. Well, we wish you all, all the best. I look forward to listening to it. And I, I'm definitely calling you Al Newman from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Yeah. Um, but Al, it's always a pleasure talking to you, mate. And uh, you know, you've, you've you've helped me massively with with insight and and, rec- and yeah, advice over the years. It's been much appreciated. So I'm sure our listeners have found that very interesting. Um, if if anybody wants to reach out, though, I know you're you're about to embark on your career, but you're still finishing off your analytics projects. If anyone um, wants to reach out, just to you know, ask a question or find out a bit more about some of the, th- the themes we talked about, what's the best way to contact you? Yeah, um, you can contact me on if you if you want to use old fashioned email. It's just al at alwhiteman dot com. Um, I'm on Twitter, and that's just uh, al whiteman. Um, and I think on LinkedIn, if you want to be more business about it on LinkedIn, I'm uh, just put al whiteman in, and you will find me. I'm at the top of the list. The very few al whitemans in the world. Always number one. The, yeah. first, the number one <laughs> al whiteman in the UK. <laughs> Uh, amazing and thanks everyone as always for listening we do appreciate your support and And keep your ears open for the next podcast in our platform speed security and performance series we've got one coming up with you storefront which is a uh, kind of popular front-end framework that's getting a lot of traction at the moment with e-commerce so that's a really interesting discussion and then next month we're focusing podcasts on the theme of speed to market so that should be quite a uh, quite a juicy topic as well so um have a lovely day everybody